either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Is there anything to watch this weekend besides the Taylor Swift movie? <laughs> yes, there is. And we'll talk about them not only uh, out in theaters, but uh, for streaming as well. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. And she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. No doubt the big uh, news at the theaters this week is Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour. We didn't get a chance to see it. They didn't offer any preview screenings with good reason. They sure. obviously didn't need any promotional no. <laughs> help. Um, but everything I'm hearing is that it's great. Yeah. Um, and I think if you saw saw the concert, you get a chance to relive it. And of course, if you didn't get a chance to see the concert, then you feel like you could been there, have been there. But you know, just because you put a good concert on doesn't mean you have a great concert film. But from everything I've read, it is very, very good. Yep. So we'll take the word for it, and God bless them. We're going to move beyond that, though, and uh, see what's out. And this one we'll start with is, I believe, both in theaters and on Prime this weekend. It's inspired by true events. A lawyer helps a funeral homeowner save his family business from a corporate behemoth, exposing a complex web of race, power, and injustice. It's called The Burial. He's suing us? He's suing us? We are a half a billion dollar corporation. So how much money are y'all trying to get? Eight million. That ain't enough money. One hundred million dollars. <laughs> Who is this clown he's hired as a lawyer? Go fight a man. What made you want to do it? Because he tried to mess with the one thing that means the most to me in life, being able to leave something behind for my grandchildren. Let's play some music. What does it feel like to be some small-time nobody on the verge of bankruptcy? What if I don't win and I let all these people down? You have been trying to turn this into your own one-ring circus. I got my damn life on the line. You sit your ass down. I'm He's sitting here, Honor. Hey, wait, wait. What's my? Can't split the pole. Can't split the pole. Now, come on. Yeah, this opened, I believe, in just very select theaters maybe last week and now wider this week, and it's also on Amazon Prime. So plenty of chances to catch it, and it is really, really good, uh, especially considering if, if you're like me and think that maybe a courtroom drama can be a bit of a snooze, um, I think the film knows that too because <laughs> <laughs> early on it talks about it. It talks about this kind of case and uh, one of the side characters goes, sounds like a nap waiting to happen. This one is not. It's really well acted. It's well directed. And it, it's well written, too, in the way it connects this older case with some of these these issues that have been around since the beginning of the country and still persist today. And it's based on, it says inspired by, uh, because they've obviously done a lot of embellishing mm -hmm. on this as it's not a documentary so they that do is that correct and this one is directed and co-written by maggie betts who did a movie novitiate did you review Novitiate, it yeah no yeah. okay but you've rachel willis reviewed it for us okay. but yeah i loved it thought yeah. it was very well made exactly so very talented here not only directing especially keeping this really engaging when it's even in the courtroom and also uh, as part of the writing team that turns it into a smart film as well but it's it's based around and inspired by a real case from the mid-1990s, where this small family-owned company that uh, had uh, six or seven funeral homes in Mississippi um, was in deep debt. And the owner's main lawyer brokered a deal, a partial buyout, with this big, big leader in the, what they call the death 
the death industry. But after they were waiting a while, they, they got the deal, everybody agreed on the deal, and then it, it just didn't get finalized for months. And a new lawyer, uh, a friend of the uh, owner of the family chain, the, the owner's played by Tommy Lee Jones, has a, a young lawyer on, on his team, played by Mamadou Athi, who's really, really good in this movie. We've seen him in things like Black Box right. and Jurassic World, I think Dominion, maybe the last one. Anyway, he's really good in this. He sniffs out. He's like, they're not going to finish the deal. They want you to just bleed out until this company is so far in debt, you have no recourse but to sell at bargain basement prices. So that begets a lawsuit. Uh, by the uh, the older, longtime lawyer, played by Alan Ruck. Sure. Back to Fer- Ferris Bueller uh, and many other things since then. I think Succession. He's in Succession, too. Anyway, that lawyer is just hoping to s- to settle the case for about $7, 8000000 million if they can get it, whereas the younger lawyer already has his eye on this flashy personal injury lawyer slash part-time preacher, Willie Gary, played by Jamie Foxx. And he goes to, to uh, see... The Jamie Foxx character, the young lawyer does, and sells him on this case, even though Foxx tells him, I, I don't do contract law. That's the nap waiting to happen. I do personal injury lawyer. Big, big money. And the young lawyer, in a great scene, sells him on the prospect of this case really being big. So Jamie Foxx and his team come on board, and he says, we're not going to settle. In fact, we're going to uh, sue for $100 million, just a crazy, crazy amount. So th- that sets the stakes of the little guy versus the big guy, which is always fun to root for the little guy. Once the other team, the team of the big corporate behemoth, gets wind of the fact that this was filed in a small town in Mississippi, then it's going to be a, ma- it's a mainly black community. It's going to be a mainly black jury, so they go out and hire uh, an African-American young lawyer played by Journey Smollett. So great. So from Lovecraft Country. So good. And other things. Yeah. And so that sets up these two, and, and it's not lost on them or the movie, that these two African-Americans are here in the Deep South representing two, one very rich, one pretty decently well-off white man. Old. Old yeah, white man. Old men, old white man, exactly. And now in, in so many movies, the two of them would have a romance. <laughs> outside the courtroom and then fight. And, well, no, that's not what's going on here. And it's really, really snappy, and it's funny in a lot of uh, in a lot of instances. Jamie Foxx is just great. If you haven't, for, if you've forgotten, because he's been in the, the tabloids a lot, not only for who he's dating, but, of course, his mysterious health situation, whatever became of that. But he's very, very good. Yeah, he's got an Oscar. It, that's the thing, is that he so often plays, like, small roles. Yeah. You know, he ducks in, ducks out of movies, or he does, like, TV stuff, you know, yeah. and, like, I think... Game shows, yeah. even as like it's been a long time since he essentially led a movie. Yeah, and he's and, he's so good, and so it, good, and it reminds you that beyond, you know, he can do so many things. He can do these spot on impressions. He can do these larger than life characters. Musically, he's very good, uh, but here he gets the chance to be larger than life and funny, but also nuanced and show the 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 real edges to this character. And it's a, it's a great performance. Everybody in this ensemble is really good. Of course, Tommy Lee Jones is perfect for this old man. He's he's more tender than usual here, <laughs> uh, but he's an old man who just wants to save his company and provide for his family after he's gone. And Tommy Lee Jones is so effortless in, in those sort of movies, but there's not a, a weak link in the whole cast. In fact, Jamie Foxx's his entourage of lawyers, especially when they come in and first meet with the Alan Ruck character who admits that he's probably a little bit prejudiced, that when they first meet is a scream. And it's, it's really played for 
for humor in some instances, but then as it gets farther along into the movie, you realize that they're really skillfully commenting on things that are still very relevant today, and you, and you realize that the title of the movie, The Burial, doesn't just deal with the fact that this is based around the funeral business. Uh, there's still a very, very vocal segment of white America that wants to bury the past and bury mm-hmm. the, the history of the black experience mm-hmm. in this country, and that comes into play, too. And it's very smart as it goes along. And, and plus, even the the uh, courtroom scenes that can be that's the can so often be the nap waiting to happen really well done well directed well edited even from the very beginning when the two lawyers are giving their opening statements it's edited to be to become just a really quick point counterpoint between the two and it's just snappy and it keeps you engaged and it's i think it's one that is not only a crowd pleaser because you you can probably guess how the court case turned out uh these types of things are crowd pleasers but it's also got a Got a social conscience on his mind as well, and plus you get a you get to see some really great work by a bunch of great act, and again a, a, a real award worthy turn from Jamie Foxx. So this has a big recommendation. You can find it on Amazon Prime and in some theaters as well, and it's a good one. It is called The Burial. Well, it's spooky season, so how about a horror movie? All righty, this one is on streaming, and this is fantasy slash horror. A legendary monster called Sawtooth Jack terrorizes residents in a small Midwestern town when he rises from the cornfields every Halloween with his butcher knife, makes his way toward those who are brave enough to confront him. It's called Dark Harvest. Your sacred duty is to take down Sawtooth Jack before that church bell rings at midnight. You really think that's real? I saw it. It's real. Then let's go kill it. You should do it. You know I'm not allowed. Just because your brother won the run last year? I got an idea. If that thing isn't dead by midnight, this whole town is going straight to hell! Why are you doing this? If you're born in this town, you're cursed. I'm ending this. Tonight. It ain't over. This is an adaptation of an award-winning, well, the Bram Stoker Award mm-hmm. for horror fiction. Mm-hmm. I think this book won back in 2006, and this is now the adaptation. And the director is David Slade, who years ago, he had a couple of good ones right out of the gate. He did Hard Candy. And 30 Days of Night. And 30 Days of yep. Night. Yep. And then he did uh, the Twilight Eclipse. Not as good? No. Uh, And then for the past several years, he's been mainly doing TV. But now we're back. It's funny because now we're back with young adults and monsters. And it's a much better mix this time. Yes. Well, it's a lot bloodier. That's for sure. It is a lot bloodier. It's a lot bloodier. This one is rated R and it earns it. It does. You know, and it's, 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 it definitely got. You know, young adult sort of vibe about it. Kind of a scary story you tell in the dark kind yeah. of vibe about it. Yep. Except also a lot of pumpkin head. A lot of pumpkin Which head. I love. Yep. And and a, and a little bit of maybe uh, Shirley Jackson thrown mm-hmm. in there. So these yeah. are all yeah. some great, great, uh, great elements. Great, you know, parts of your recipe. And um, as you pointed out in your written review, it looks gorgeous. Yeah, after it was over, while we were watching, I thought, boy, this looks great. Then I looked up. The cinematographer is Larry Smith. What did he do? 
only God forgives. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, so one of uh, one of Nicholas Winding Ruffin's most good-looking oh, films. Oh, just incredible. For sure, yeah. But this is so well put together, the mood, especially when they go in chasing after Sawtooth Jack in the cornfields. Because it's set in 1963. Exactly. But at the same time, it's not... You, you know pretty soon she, there's, an, there's a, a time stamp mm-hmm. on it, but still, it's not a traditional, like, little town. And the way that they kind of unveil the information it never feels forced or like something is being it's it's a kind of it's like they're cluing you in in the most organic way as to the oddness of this town and what's happening here yeah the look of it it reminded me of a a smaller great film from a couple of years ago called the vast of night the way it was able to capture a mood of a throwback vibe you know i love that uh but yeah it's got like you mentioned the lottery or hunger games because basically it's based around this weird tradition that this town has of well, for three days, they starve and sequester their young men, and then they turn them loose after three days, right around Halloween, to go chase down Sawtooth Jack. And the the person that wins gets $25,000, a new Corvette, and a ticket out of town, um, which everybody wants. And early on, when the movie begins, we see a guy named Jim Shepard win. And because he won, that means his brother, Richie, who's one of the main characters here, played by Casey Likes, is not eligible to play next year. That's part of the rules. And he's all bummed because he wants to make his mark. Well, the tradition has some secrets. Well, one of the things that I liked about it, about this movie, is that even though, you know, they open on the night where Jim Shepard wins mm-hmm. and everybody seems very eager and excited. It's almost like the purrs where yeah. everybody's out the street. Yeah, oh yeah. But then when they're when they're beginning the sequestering and they're you, you, these boys don't want to do this. Yeah. And you're like, I wonder why they don't want to do this. None of them want to do this. And they're all upset with, with Jim Shepard's brother for wanting to do this. Like, if you don't have to, why are you doing it? And I thought that was a fascinating way to sort of introduce us to the fact that a bunch of these people are going to die. Mm-hmm. And they're going to die brutally. They are. Oh, boy. There's some There's some good effects. Head chopping. Yeah. There's, oh, the, yeah. The blood effects in this movie are they amazing. They really are. They're on point. Now, now narratively, I do think, and, and maybe the book spells it out better. We didn't read the book. But there are some questions. You're not You're not exactly sure why these these townsfolk just can't leave. And you you don't know exactly why they're being held to these traditions, like you say, that maybe if they don't want to. That, that to me, was a little curious. But, uh, but still, I think it blends all the genres and all the inspirations together very well. It looks great. Most of the young performers, young performances mm-hmm. are fine mm-hmm. because then uh, Richie uh, picks up with a, a girl named Kelly. Who's, she's a clerk at the local theater, and they're kind of maybe flirting around. And they eventually team up to break the rules and say, no, we're going to go. We're going to get our ticket out of town and, and do this thing, even though technically he's not allowed to do it because his, his family just won. But... Yeah, I thought it was especially for for Halloween and spooky season, a, a nice blend. A lot of people like creature features. Yeah, you know, and it's a good looking creature. I like the creature effects as well. I think I like the results of what the creature does better than the look of the creature. It's not bad. I just think I didn't like it quite as much as you did. Although at the end, I think I appreciated what mm-hmm. they do with it at the end. Mm-hmm. And speaking of. You don't have to wait long, but there is a very important little extra scene, but it, it comes pretty quickly. It does. Uh, mid-credits. Yeah. But it's important, yeah. uh, so stick around for that. But yeah, I think it fits the bill here. Uh, it is on Amazon, Creature Feature, a little bit of young adult stuff, and again, looks fantastic. But get ready for that blood. It's the story of Sawtooth Jack called Dark Harvest. And more streaming horror next. When Cam and Sky bought their duplex, it seemed like the perfect investment opportunity for the young couple. A starter home, mortgage offset by renters, even a guest room for Sky's sister. 
But as they slowly uncover hidden cameras and secrets of the duplex's previous owner, obsession consumes their marriage. It's called 15 Cameras. Our tenants, you need to stop bothering them. What? What do you mean? They're getting uncomfortable. Dead. Did you know that they never actually confirmed his death? I mean, we need to be sure. We live in one of his houses. Okay, I think this true crime stuff is like made to freak people out. Slumlord drives a white van. Well, the director here is Danny Madden. Yep. Uh, no, no relation. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it this is another one that that fits the bill for you looking for some streaming horror, and it also might have some extra feels for anybody. And there's a lot of people that love the true crime. Yes, uh, and the the lead Cam is played by Will Madden, who is no relation to me, but definitely related to the director. Yeah. They are brothers. <laughs> yeah. And he, as you might recall, was recently in The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Loved if it. you haven't seen The Wolf of Snow Hollow, I'm not going to tell you who he plays. But, of course, the star of that is Jim Cummings, and Jim Cummings has a cameo in this movie. So there's a lot of, like, um, and the, 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 the writer of this film wrote The Beta Test, which was also a Jim Cummings movie. P.J. McCabe. So, so they all, you know, everybody, all these people work together. And, and the reason I point that out is that everybody is very strong. And that's the first thing you notice, I think, for me when I watch this movie, is that when I read the description and I saw a trailer, I thought, oh, it's another one of those sort of true crime style, there are cameras in this house kind of horror movies. I've seen this a lot. And in fact, there's a film called 13 Cameras. Yeah. This this is kind of a, an indirect sequel to a number of the actors in this film were in 13 cameras and footage from that movie turns into the true crime TV show that Sky binges. And so that's like sort of the, the heart of this movie is that the last movie was about a guy who owned a bunch of called the slumlord who owned a bunch of, of houses and he kept videos or uh, cameras in them and he would sort of stalk people. He would figure out what their what their traits were so that he could more easily kill and kidnap them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this movie, that footage is now the TV show that she can't stop watching, and they know that they bought one of this man's homes. They know that. But they've convinced themselves that there aren't any cameras, that everything's fine, that this man's dead, then they're going to move on because of uh, financial reasons and all the things. And, of course, we all know, nope, that's not going to be the case. <laughs> one of the things that sets us apart as well, though, is that there are two things. One is that it really is about... Um, our tendency is it also with true crime fanatics, right, to want to watch other people's lives. Mm-hmm. So that is what she's doing obsessively. She's watching the show about other people's lives. And then, of course, as he stumbles across the cameras and stumbles across the console where you can see what's happening in the cameras, he can't stop watching that. And and that's an interesting sort of topic that they bring up is like, what is it about us that we keep doing that, that we all just want to watch what other people are doing? But the thing I thought was more interesting, given these three different characters in the movie, you've got nice guy Cam, who's very much portrayed as that sort of dorky nice guy. And then the sister, she's staying with them because she's trying to get a restraining order against her old ex-boyfriend. And then, of course, there is the slumlord himself, who mm-hmm. was a vicious murderer of women. And the movie really points out to you that the distance between the nice guy, the stalker, and the brutal murderer is not measured in, like, feet or miles, but more like inches. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, for me, the most alarming and believable part of the movie. So, 
you know, I, I think I'm, I'm worried people are going to skip this movie because it, it in a lot of ways it feels very familiar to a lot of other movies that have come out recently. But I think if you have any interest at all, give it a shot. It's quite well made. Yeah. And that is streaming now. And it's called 15 Cameras. Next one is in theaters. I think it opened very selectively last weekend, much uh, more wide release now. A uh, comedy drama romance, a composer who suffers writer's block, rediscovers his passion after an adventurous one-night stand. It's called She Came to Me. The demented tugboat captain who lures men to her tugboat and kills them and eats them. I loved it. How did you come up with that? I was really angry at you. And now it turns out I'm your muse. Do what? Oh, Steve, I'll never leave you. Um. I love cleaning. Cleanliness is close to godliness. When my patients are talking, I imagine getting inside their heads with disinfectant and just scrubbing them down. Your tugboat captain came to see me. I'm in love. No, no! Just admit that I had a magic effect on you. My imagination came up with the story. My talent wrote the music. I mean, you don't kill men and eat them, do you? Well, I haven't yet. You know I can't resist a romantic story, even if I'm not in it. There's a lot of things right off the bat to recommend this movie. First of all, Peter Dinklage. Yes. And then also Anne Hathaway. Oh, it's a great cast. Marissa Tomei and the writer-director. Yeah, Rebecca Miller, uh, who you may know, Arthur uh, Miller's daughter Mm -hmm. and the wife of Daniel Day-Lewis. And she's done acting, too, as well as writing and directing. And you can see, and it also, we should say, uh, offers a over-the-credits original song by Bruce Springsteen, which is going to be a big draw for us. That's right. But And you can definitely see why these performers were drawn to this project. The characters are very interesting. Uh, what they do <laughs> and, and the story that it tells just doesn't really gel. But it's, it's an interesting romantic comedy, uh, question mark. Right. That's one of the problems. You really get the feel that it's Rebecca Miller th- thinks she's trying to be funny, and as we've said many times, comedy is very, what you think is funny is very personal, Mm -hmm. and for a very maybe small, niche brand of humor, you may think it's funny, and and I think there are moments when she really thinks it's really funny, and it's not, especially the, the very closing, one of the last shots in the movie. It just seems very misguided in tone, but but Peter Dinklage plays his composer, and of operas, and he's he's got writer's block, and he's married to his therapist, plays by Anne Hathaway, and she's a clean freak, and she's you know their 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 relationship is not great because he suggests, hey, maybe tonight would be a good night for a sex night, and she's like, you know, that's interesting, but it, you know, it's Thursday, and that and that's it. So <laughs> he goes and he he takes a walk and with his dog, and he decides that well, I'm just going to stop into a bar, and there he meets a tugboat captain played by Marissa Tomei. <laughs> And she is, uh, she says, she's self-described, she's an, uh, addicted to romance. And actually, that's the title of the uh, Springsteen song at the end, Addicted Romance. And so they have a fling, and next thing you know, he's writing, and he and she he's got a new opera about uh, a love-crazed tugboat captain who murders people. <laughs> <laughs> And Marissa Tomei sees it and decides, oh, well, I'm your muse, and so I won't leave you alone now. And and it's 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 really nutty in in what it's doing and what these characters are doing, and the and the performances are all very good. It just clashes up against everything, clashes up against each other, and you're not quite sure what it's trying to say. Just that we all do crazy things for love, okay, 
Uh, but it seems like they're trying to say more than that and maybe even comment on and make fun of maybe the, the privilege of these characters. But at the, at the time, it seems very comfortable with that privilege and, right. a, and a little tone deaf. So it's just so weird. I wanted to like it. Yes. I did. Yes. I like all these people and, and I like the characters. But what what they're doing and the story that it's telling is just it never quite finds its footing for me. I, I get the feeling, though that there's a small segment of the audience that might find this really funny. And, you know, we've been there. We've, oh, we've, yeah. we've been in screenings oh, where yeah. we're the only ones laughing. Yes. And if it gets you, it'll get you. But it did It did not get me, especially a very curious subplot B story about Anne Hathaway's son from her previous marriage. His girlfriend turns out to be the daughter of Anne Hathaway's cleaning lady. Even though Anne Hathaway is always cleaning, she also has a cleaning lady. And then something that happens between the son and his girlfriend uh, is very, whew, it, it's some borderline problematic. And what they're saying about that, the whole thing is just very curious. Many things that pop up seem convoluted, especially... I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it, but something about Anne Hathaway's character that she's considering doing. And then at the end, the last shot of her, uh, I think is supposed to be a real gut buster, funny of a final punchline. But it just it just laid there, just sat there for me, like most of this entire story. But uh, love the performers. I, <laughs> I do. Yeah. And, and even and I, I, I hate to say this, but because you know what big fans we are of, of Bruce, but the song even sounded to me like a like an early draft of his movie his his song from the wrestler which also oh, starred Marissa, Marissa Tomei, Tomei yeah. is very similar very similar mm-hmm. to me uh, I'm not going to say it's bad I'm not no. don't 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 even I'm not going to be dissing Bruce right no. now but it just sounded a little a little familiar but it's not in it's, my house it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a quirky little movie and it it might just work for you it really might but boy uh I think it the, the, the Segment that it really works for, I'm guessing, is going to be kind of small. But that is out in a wider release now this weekend called She Came to Me. Let's stay in theaters for a documentary. At the end of a 60-year career, legendary singer and activist Joan Baez takes an honest look back and a deep look inward as she tries to make sense of her large history-making life and the personal struggles she has kept private. It's called Joan Baez, I Am a Noise. I've always said I wouldn't want to do a farewell tour because people who say that always come back. Maybe it'd be nice to celebrate 55 years of it. Here she is, man, Miss Joan Baez. I was the right voice at the right time. It just shot me in another whole stratosphere. And I was really addicted to the activism. There's no way I could have been intimate. And I didn't know that yet. I'm not very good at one-on-one relationships. I'm great with one on 2,000. be some regret no matter when I quit. Somebody asked me which decade I like. I said this one. Well, this is where I tell my I Met Joan Baez story. That's right. From years ago. <laughs> I used to bartend here in Columbus, Ohio at a restaurant and bar that was directly beside uh, a venue. Uh, right on the Ohio State campus, and many of the performers would come and eat 
before the show, and she came over, and a lot of them had maybe some didn't really come in. They had people come get the food and then take it. But she came in in her very smart tracksuit, um, <laughs> and you know, and ate in the back room. And I, I went up, and just you know, said a few words to her, brought her the food. Um, you know, very very charming. And this is a is a movie that is very the, the synopsis says a, a deep look inward. Yes, it's very deep. This is a very deep look inward very kind of therapy sort of sort of movie and you understand why i mean she was clearly is that type of personality early early on she you see a lot of old letters that she wrote and scrapbooks and things and they they show her in a room of her house she has kept a lot of things from over her life and career a lot of things to go back on which was very handy i'm sure for this film then you hear uh, old recordings, tape recordings of her, letters that she's dictated, things like that. So you really get a look inside her feelings. And she was very intelligent, obviously, and very self-reflective from an early, early age in dealing with anxiety and dealing with family trauma and neuroses. At the same time, she was getting very, very famous, not only as a musician, but as an activist, counterculture icon. You know, the years she spent with Bob Dylan. And this, this, that whole scene, and she's been that way. She's been a, a, a famous face, and, and a lot of people probably think of her maybe as more of a, an activist than even than a musician. Right. But in this film, she's looking back on basically a farewell tour and the fact that she's maybe at 79 years old, time to give up the touring life and things like that. So she's looking back over things. So um, it's, it's interesting that way. If you're, if you're only a casual fan, I would say you probably, your, your mind would wander. You, you really need to be interested in her and really getting inside her her mind and and credit to her she's she's free with that she's open to talking about her feelings and how she's dealt with things over the years and uh, it's it's a it's a deep dive so if you're a fan of Joan Baez I'd say all all the way um, uh, this is one I, I would recommend because she is an iconic figure in especially over the last several decades and in a very turbulent and an important time in American history and, and music too. Very, very important. So uh, this is in theaters. And yeah, if you're a Joan Baez fan, don't miss it. Otherwise you may, your, your, your mind may wander a little bit because it's not your typical musician biography. You certainly follow her timeline, but, it, but it's not the greatest hits type of thing. This is deep album cuts sort of thing. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> so uh, if that's uh, if that's something that sounds good to you, then by all means, I think you'll enjoy this. And it is in select theaters now called Joan Baez, I Am a Noise. We'll stay in theaters for a fantasy thriller. When the harmony in a village is threatened by outside elements, two sisters must fight to save their people and restore the glory of a mermaid goddess to the land. This is called Mami Wata. All of them demand. All of them with a full on, they demand. Run. 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 Well, you can tell just from the trailer. This thing looks incredible, and it's oh, black and white. It's so gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. Uh, in fact, it, it won the cinematographer the special jury prize at, at uh, Sundance. I, I believe it. Uh, yeah, it's it's just it's hypnotic to look at the not just the way it's shot in black and white, but the the use of of uh, light and shadow and the mm-hmm. sort of and water, especially and water droplets, because of course she's a mermaid goddess. Yeah. Um, and and the story is it's a folk tale. And it's hard to exactly say the time period of the film. I'd say somewhat recent, but not present day. And it's set in this um, 
uh, imaginary village that's on the sea in Western Africa, uh, West Africa. And Mami Wata is the goddess that the community follows. And her emissary on Earth seems to have maybe lost contact with her. There's a a child dies Mm -hmm. and Mama Efe can't bring her back to life or refuses to bring her back to life. It's not entirely clear, but it starts to shake people's belief in her ability, including her daughter's belief in her ability. So her daughter steals the talisman, the um, shells that connects Mama Efe to Mami Wata, and leaves the village. And there's another sister who's really a stepsister, and she tries to bring things back together, and there's conflict enough, and then a man washes uh, washes to shore. And he's from a different village, and he uh, was a soldier. And he shares uh, tales of how he was a rebel because he thought the rebels were doing the right thing, and then he realized the rebels were actually worse than everybody else, and everybody is just in it for the violence and for greed. So the film eventually becomes a, a comment on sort of matriarchy versus patriarchy, mm-hmm. and and it's really, really riveting stuff. Well, this is writer-director C.J. Fiery Obasi. And this is one, well, first of all, this is another one that I'm glad is on the big screen because anytime you get a chance to see a movie that looks this great on the big screen, do not miss that chance. Absolutely. It's great. And also, this is another one that right away gets into my mental folder to bring up when people, as they often do, just complain that there's nothing but superhero movies and sequels out. There's nothing original. Oh, yes, there is. Yes. There is. There's, it's out there. You'll find it. Seek it out. Here's one. Oh, yeah. This yeah. This couldn't be much more original, to be honest with you. And also, you know, I think that we're really lucky. We live in Columbus, Ohio, and Gateway Film Center is where you can see it here. And they do such a good job of bringing in international films yes. because I have also had people, you know, people bring up that it's it's hard to see a film um, from African filmmakers, and and he's a Nigerian filmmaker, and a national, actually, to be honest, the Wexner Center for the Arts in Columbus also brings in international films yes, quite a bit. Yes, they do. Uh, and, and yeah, we're spoiled. We are spoiled. <laughs> we are. And so if you don't get a chance to see this in theaters, if you do, please do. If you don't, seek it out when it's available yeah. online as well, though, because it is just a fascinating story, just gorgeously told. Yeah, and that is called Mami Wata, out now in select theaters. Let's head to Shudder. The puppet man, a convicted killer on death row, always maintained his innocence and that it was an evil force controlling his body as he slaughtered his victims. Now, the killer's daughter begins to suspect that there may be some truth to her father's claim when those around her begin to die in brutal ways. It's called The Puppet Man. Michael is carrying your death inside her. Why did you kill her? You did. Why did you put inside me? I was with to suffer like you did. Wasn't I? Kill me! Who are you talking to? He chose you. I don't wanna I don't wanna hold it against this film exactly that I felt as if I'd been promised puppets. <laughs> so you were disappointed. <laughs> I was disappointed because I thought there would be puppets. Instead, you got Michael Perret. I did get Michael Perret. Michael Perret is the investigator, and he just doesn't buy any of this bullcrap that's being spewed about 
some entity who's taking over your body so that you can't help what you're doing. So there, it's the puppet master kind of thing, right? It's like the you can't move because somebody else is controlling your body. And then, and I'll give it this, people die in some pretty brutal ways. They really do. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, uh, you know, I just don't think this movie really goes anywhere. I don't think there's much of a point to it. It's got a very conflicted and sort of convoluted backstory sort of mythology underneath of it. I don't think it's particularly satisfying. I don't think that um, any of the characters are very well developed. I mean, it's just, it's a it's a pretty mediocre movie that, you know, I'm just going to say it might have benefited from some puppets. <laughs> and you can find that on Shudder now called The Puppet Man. Let's go back to theaters for some action horror. When a woman trying to outrun her past ends up trapped between a zombie outbreak and warring militia groups, she must fight to find her way back home. It's called Herd. It's okay to be scared. Roommates? Alex, listen to me. You don't understand these people. Sometimes we have to do things we don't want. Things we never dream to keep people safe. It's like you've been saying, room for doubt. Equals room for death. I don't have anything left to take. God, I'm so sick and tired of you guys just doing whatever you want as if there's no consequences whatsoever. Hey, please! Get that on the ground! I'm in command! It's unbearable! I wouldn't dream of jerking you around, John. I love you. I think we're gonna be thick as thieves. Please just let us go home! <laughs> Why do you assume that people won't do the right thing? Experience? Heard as in H-E-R-D, and this one was reviewed for us at MadWolf.com by Brandon Thomas. And this is one, as we said, it's in theaters, but boy, this one just smells like it should have been straight to video. Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, you know, and the fact that it is released in theaters made me a little bit optimistic about it, even though the trailer was... Mm-hmm. As derivative and obvious as a trailer has ever been. I mean, it, you know, everything that The Walking Dead ever picked up from George Romero, you know, and then was diluted through The Last of Us. You know what I mean? It's like there's there's not a single new idea in this movie. Not a one. You say this a lot about different kind of movies. It's like they have a checklist in front of yeah. them. They're just checking well, off boxes. That's exactly how this movie feels. And that's exactly what Brandon says in his written review. Checking off the boxes. And that can be so, yeah. If you've seen uh, enough of these movies, then you just know, here we go, there's the next box, the next box, and it's very disappointing in that way Yes. Uh, if you're looking for something new. But that is out in theaters now, and it is called Heard, and Brandon Thomas's review is at madwolf.com. And one more, this one's on VOD, a drama about a vice lieutenant who is the most feared trainer and model macho in the Austrian military, lives as a gay man in secret when he falls in love with a young, openly gay soldier. His world gets turned upside down. This is based on real events. It's called Ice Mayor. The world doesn't work so like a schwul as you can imagine. This is from writer-director David Wagner, or it might be Wagner. Uh, and it is on, yeah, it's on uh, Prime now, out on VOD. This was reviewed at MadWolf.com by Rachel Willis. Who who loved it. Loved Absolutely it. Loved, loved it. it. Loved the performances. Loved the way the two characters sort of balance each other. Icemayer is known for his cruelty and, you know, his sort of calculated 
viciousness and uh and and then it turns out of course that a lot of that is simply his um trying to hide from others what he's doing in private so a lot of it it's a funny thing you don't usually have the sort of cruel character be the arc character be the one that you follow through but you do with him and so it's it's a, it's an interesting approach to a film Really, really well shot. Really, really well acted. Yeah, and check out Rachel's review at MadWolf.com. This one is called Ice Mare, and it is on VOD now. Well, the schlocketeer Daniel Baldwin sitting this week out, so we'll check in with him next week. And speaking of, we've got a big one opening next week. By all accounts, probably a big Oscar contender this year. Killers of the Flower Moon opens next week. Also, Foe. Also, Old Dads. And Occupied City. Uh, one called Sick Girl. Onyx, the Fortuitous, and the Talisman of Souls. How, if you had, the over and under was three on the use of talisman in this <laughs> in this podcast. So there's two. Also, Mr. Jimmy, a documentary, comes out next week. Night of the Hunted. Kill Her. And Waiting for the Light to Change. Oh, don't I know it. They, <laughs> they changed the... They changed that intersection near our house. I used to have this workaround by this light that it takes too long, and now I don't have it. You know what? You would be shocked to know the lengths that he will go to to snake around suburban neighborhoods to avoid stoplights. It's alarming. That is the very first time I've heard of that movie title, and this is the very first thing I thought of. Is this about me? (laughs) But we got off on a tangent there. That's all next week. What about this week? You know what? We haven't seen Taylor Swift, the the Eras movie, but uh, if you have, give us your review, and we'll talk about that one, talk about uh, any of the movies this week. We always love to keep the conversation going. You can find us easily on Twitter, at Mad Wolf, also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus, also Threads. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. Going to tape a new one live tonight, by the way. So a new one of those is coming soon. That's all at MadWolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Enjoy the movies. Have a great week. Try to avoid those long stoplights if you possibly can. (laughs) And we will talk next week. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.